The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with White House correspondent April Ryan. Ryan is the longest-serving African-American female ever in that position. Now in the White House press room working for the GRIO, Ryan has covered five presidents over the course of her career. And this year, she marked a quarter century at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. She's also an author Her latest book is Black Women Will Save the World, an anthem. This book is my love letter to America, celebrating people who look like me, who are me, and putting an exclamation point and a comma, not a period, at this moment, because we're going to keep going. I think back to Shirley Chisholm, who said, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Well, Black women are now not only bringing a folding chair, which we always have on our back, but we've crafted some of the most beautiful uh, seats and tables and convening those tables. And I think back to a time when Shirley Chisholm said being Black and a woman is a double whammy. Well, not anymore. Um, We are now in leadership positions uh, where it makes a difference to have our voices in the room. And I think back a couple of years ago, Black women were being vilified. It's time to celebrate. This is my love letter, my love song 
to America about the greatness of Black women. How much of nostalgia did you have in putting this together, thinking about the women who raised you? Um, my mother's always with me. My late mother, she, she passed away 15 years ago. And she was the epitome of strength, grace, um, forward thinking. And she's always with me. But I hear her words about the past and the moment we're in. Because I was that kid who was born immediately after we got all, Black folks got all the rights and laws in their favor. And then to see it start to roll back, but to also see the Black women who are at the front of the fight, the forefront, to ensure that we have a better day, to ensure that our grandchildren will be okay, our children will be okay. It is just amazing to mark this moment because my mother, um, you know, she, she passed away just before Barack Obama officially threw his hat into the ring to mm-hmm. run for president. And she said, then we'll see. Because she remembers a day, but that was just a pipe dream, a notion. Mm-hmm. And now these moments are here. Not just the first black president, but black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court, a black woman being called Madam Vice President, the first black woman White House press secretary. Okay, Um, just the list keeps going on and on. How do we make sure that we are proud of these moments, marking these moments, but also understanding what we're facing in terms of aggressions and the pushback, April? Well, first of all, we mark this moment because we celebrate everyone all the time. And now it's time to singularly say, okay, Black women, it's your turn. We notice you because if you don't notice it, sometimes we go along the wayside and it falls off without the marking. Mm -hmm. You build upon the moments of demarcation or or marking the moment. Um, I believe that we, we have to celebrate one another, but this, again, is the moment for Black women to stand and rise take the bow, uh, walk across the room with their, their gown as they, as, as they deliver opinions on the U.S. Supreme mm-hmm. Court. I mean, we're doing all of that. How did you decide to write the book as you do? I think what is great about it is you do so anecdotally um, in some yeah. ways, and it makes it an easier read for people who might not, uh, you know, read it any other way. It might a, be too daunting. It's an easy read, but you get stories about the, the communion of women, the sisterhood in these unique spaces, like Lori Lightfoot, uh, the mayor of Chicago. You know, there was a coming together of sisters at the time when Keisha Lance Bottoms was mayor and, and uh, Muriel Bowser and, and so many others, the, the mayor of New Orleans, et cetera, these Black women coming together saying, oh, I'm, I'm going through this test. But sister, here's my testimony after I went through this test. But sister, you need self-care. You know, I'm starting to hear more about these rarefied communal spaces for these sisters who have never been in these spaces, who are now coming together and talking about the moments, how to walk through some of the stumbling blocks and bring others along. I I tell stories like with Valerie Jarrett, our friend Valerie Jarrett, who, for all intents and purposes, is one of the reasons why Barack Obama was president of the United States. She talks about uh, her, her legacy, her legacy of slavery, that one of her uh, ancestors was raped by uh, a slave owner. And now she's here sitting in rooms, making world policy, changing the globe. And sometimes you wonder, you know, because of what haunts you from the past, do I belong here? 
Mm-hmm. We have those stories. And, and you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms talking about, and I'll never forget this. This will stay with me forever. Here's a woman who led one of the largest economies in the nation. Here's a woman who uh, was the mayor of, of a city that had a large number of Fortune 500 companies, the, 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 one of the most powerful airports in the world. And yet someone, a man came to her and said, who told you that when she makes decisions? What? You know, we are still faced with so much as we still press on to lift up the schoolhouse, lift up the church house, lift up our house, the community, the government house, etc. How do we make sure that black women don't take on too much, though, April? Because <laughs> that is something that I remember my mom, my grandmothers, my aunts. I saw your beautiful pictures of your mom. Yeah, there's that feeling. There's that feeling sometimes. The sad piece is I think it's a generational curse mm. from the inception of black people, Africans enslaved in this country. We were given a heap and had to figure out how to make it work. And we do that so gracefully and skillfully, better than other communities. We have always been given the short stick. We've been given a spoon when other people are given a shovel, but we still make it work. And that's the piece. Um, (laughs) We are always called on. And we have to learn self-care. We talk about that in that book, in, in Black Women Will Save the World, an anthem. One of my dear friends, Frederica Newton, the widow of Huey P. Newton, mm-hmm. Black Panther Party leader, she said one thing she didn't realize is self-care then and now. She's working real hard on that. And it's interesting for her to say that because as we look now to celebrate Black Panther Party, an uh, organization that was once vilified, we now celebrate. You know, she said back then she didn't take care of herself. It wasn't self-care back then. As they continue to push for free clinics for health for our community, uh, for food programs for our children in our community. And all of those things now we see that the government is pushing forward and, 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 and funding. But she said, you know, it was something that she thought of then and she's not as attuned to it now. She's working on it. Think about this. She says that, and the Black Panther Party was supported. The membership was mostly women, 70% women. Mm-hmm. And if she thinks that and thought that back then, think about the membership there. And that's kind of a mirror. This is unscientific, but it's kind of a mirror into who we are. We are not as Black women, and we don't see ourselves, and society doesn't see ourselves as this as the standard of beauty in the eyes of the world. We are not considered vulnerable. We don't have the vulnerability that other communities can celebrate with their women. But yet we are considered the work, the workforce. We don't hurt. Um, so therefore you don't need time off. And if you ask so many, so many women, you know, what do they do? They're like, oh well, you know, I stay home, <laughs> you know, or I may go to lunch. But what do you do to celebrate yourself? What do you do to pause, to rejuvenate? And for so many of us, it's hard to say I go out and pamper myself because mm-hmm. we're not conditioned that way. And it's time to change that. You and I have young daughters, uh, so we're trying to give them kind of that path. And and I know that we've been very blessed to have them walk that path so far. But I, I concern myself sometimes, particularly when I see social media. 
Um, mm-hmm. How do we make sure that they understand there's the image of being a boss and there's the reality of being a boss? In some instances, we fake it till we make it on social media. And that's the problem. I've heard from my own kids. Oh, I see people having so much fun. I said, that's a snippet, a created moment in many cases when it's actually the opposite. But what we do is instill in our young women the struggle, but the strive to move forward. And I think it's intrinsic. Um, It's intuitive because uh, I talked to one of our friends, Cornell Belcher. He is a Democratic pollster for Brilliant Corners, who said when women move to get in these high lofty places, particularly when it comes to government spaces, it's because... It's out of love, just like with the Black Panthers. They said the move was about love. When you have men, in many instances, it's about ego and power. But we push for love. So we have to look at that. You know, are we out here flossing and being the boss because we want to floss and be the boss? Or are we actually doing it? I don't believe in the fake it to the make to you make it uh, syndrome that we're seeing on social media. But I think we need to allow our children and others to understand that who we are is enough. If we don't reach boss, we are still boss in our own space. Each one of us plays a unique role. Um, I'm the boss in my own space. My kids and my fiance, they don't care about what happens outside of this home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in here, I'm the boss. Well, we, my fiance and I are both the boss together. But we have to remember we are enough. This space is enough. And unfortunately, we see a lot of the designers, names on our clothes branded on us, and we don't think we're enough. And this book is my love song to America about Black women, because we are enough. We are more than enough. We have overcome. We are achievers. We're still doing the thing. How do we make sure that this advancement isn't a divide? I remember... Uh, mm. Tiffany, Tiffany Cross and I had this discussion and you're starting to see articles written, not just about black men, but men in general, in this sense of mm. kind of falling back and, and not doing enough and not doing what they're, quote, supposed to do. How do we make sure that the success of black women isn't a divider between black men and black women? So I'm glad you brought that up. This is not intended to divide at all. If anything, you know, black women have supported our men. We have stood by them in the best of times and the worst of times. But in this moment, as we rise and we hit the pinnacle, I'm not going to sit here and let it go by without marking the moment. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that we're not marking the moment of our men or other communities. We celebrate, I celebrate, I know, all communities, religions, races, what have you. But for this moment, for me as a Black woman, to see this moment that my ancestors never thought would happen. Mm -hmm. And so many others, I celebrate men, I celebrate you. This is not a divider. This is a moment to say, yes, sisters rise up, men, women, everyone from all races, let's celebrate black women. And when someone else writes a book about celebrating black men, I'm going to be the first one right there. I think it's important for us to have those discussions because I know I've heard it, um, you know, in barbershop, when we're alone, when men are alone, there is this sense of, oh, yeah, sisters think. And I see a lot of young brothers, we have conversations with them about they think success, a lot of them, honestly, is living off a woman. 
And, you know, there's real concern uh, between a number of black men about that. Well, there is a concern because right now you hit a point. Black women are rising in numbers head of household. Black women are rising in number as the breadwinner. And I want to see our brothers and sisters together. And what is unfortunate is, is that when you see these stats, it's a double-edged sword. It's showing that women can do it, but the problem is they're doing it alone. And you don't necessarily want to see that. And we want to celebrate our brothers, but should women be the head of household? Should women? And that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole complex dynamic. You know, Mm -hmm. some people are like, I can do it by myself, but are we communal or are we isolators? You know, COVID showed us one thing. We are not a, a community of isolators. We're seeing more people become communal. So here's the thing. Do we really want to see the numbers rise? Women uh, are head of household. That means there's no companion there. I'm not saying you have to have a companion. Be content in yourself. But this is not about bashing brothers. I want to see happy, healthy relationships. That's a whole that's a whole other show. But I cannot have you on this show without bringing up uh, what you cover every day. And we're walking into midterms. You and I have been talking about this now, it seems like, for a couple of years leading into it. Um, what do you see, April? I mean, you know, be a bit of a prognosticator for me. I see Stacey Abrams fighting for her political life in Georgia. Um, Georgia's ground zero. Stacey started the ground zero and now it's extra because of all the controversy did he or didn't he with Herschel Walker. Um, Raphael Warnock's uh, lead is widening a bit. It should have never been that close though for so many of us to say. It should have never been that close. Um, We're watching Val Demings in Florida. And then let's go to California. There's so many other races between, but these are some of the ones that we're watching. California. Ooh. Karen Bass in Los Angeles. She's going up against um, someone who has got so much money. A lot of money. A lot of money. Just making it rain. But she's still in the race, but it's we got to see how this turns out. And in California, it's crime, it's the economy, and it's homelessness. So we got to see how this turns out. So we're watching all the races. I cannot predict anything. I'm not a prognosticator, but we're in we're in the midst of some really interesting races. In a moment, we never thought we have more blacks running for office than ever before. And this is really is this is a moment to watch. What do you think about what we those of us who are kind of in it have known for a long time? But this um splintered nature of the Democratic Party. You know, we saw Tulsi Gabbard the other day kind of say, hey, I'm done. I'm going to be an independent. One can argue whether she was that uh, before the announcement or not. But um, there is some some real rumblings between the factions. What, What do you see there? So you're talking about the splintered nature of the Democratic Party. I'm hearing more from the Republicans who are talking about I'm leaving and I'm going to be an independent. I think both parties are are, uh, trying to find themselves Mm -hmm. and they're trying to find themselves in this moment. And what it looks like coming out of this midterm 
And then what it morphs into before 2024 and then what 2024 looks like, we've got a long way to go. There's so many issues. Both sides are saying, you know, we're not who we used to be. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to blame a couple of factors on the reason why these parties are not the same. They've taken on a machine that they didn't realize. And I'm talking about both parties. What the results would be if they, they tried to tackle it or wrangle it. And I'm talking about the Internet. Remember when Barack Obama ran for office? Mm-hmm. He was able to successfully and skillfully use the internet to his advantage. And Newt Gingrich said, remember this? He said, we've got to learn how to figure out this internet thing. Not only did they figure it out, they've commandeered it and taken it over. To the advantage or disadvantage of democracy. And then we have outliers. Here's another piece for both parties. We have outliers who feel that they weren't touched. One of the reasons why people voted for Barack Obama is because they felt that they were going to be included. Mm-hmm. One of the main reasons why Barack Obama became president of the United States, he spoke a language and hit a chord when people wanted change. We're going into a recession, gas prices were high. The country was unhappy. We were in a war. We were tired. We were war weary. Barack Obama brought a light and change, and he touched a group that was not necessarily under the umbrella. Now, the complete polar opposite, Donald Trump said change. He touched a group that felt that they were not touched by politics or society. What I gather here is that because of all of these revelations and and the brokenness of the system, people want to change. But how do you make everyone feel that they matter? That's a tough equation that may not have equal parts. Um, I think there's several things that brought us to this point. It's more than messaging. It's more than people in the party. It's about the politics. People, we the people who feel like we're not touched. And the kind of messages that we listen to and believe. There's so many, I'm going deeper than just the people in the party. Uh, we're in a moment that you can't put the genie back in the bottle because the bottle's broken. You think Trump will be viable in 24? That's, I mean, that seems to be the million dollar question for so many people. Okay, let's see what happens in New York and Georgia. And with Merrick Garland after January 6th, mm-hmm. um, the more information that comes out, it seems the more people dig in yeah. and they love him so much. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know. We have to wait and see if there are going to be indictments. Some people are saying the January 6th committee has pushed it so much so that Merrick Garland has no choice but to uh, indict. We just have to see because, again, January 6th was created out of people believing a falsehood that the election was stolen, that it wasn't legitimate, that um, Joe Biden is not the legitimate president. So people are believing, if they believe that, and we saw what that led to, 
they're believing the lies that are being told now um, from the leaders of that faction of the Republican Party. What do you tell the Black voter who's disenchanted right now, who hasn't been moved enough with only a couple of weeks left till Election Day? Uh, The fervor's not there. At this point, they don't know if they're going to vote. What do you tell them? Well, um, I would tell them, you know, don't complain to me um, because if you can't Google it, as simple as that on your phone to figure out what the candidates are saying, what's on the ballot, what concerns you, I don't know what to say. Um, this election, and any election pertains to you, it's all about you, but everything is on the table at this point uh, from abortion rights to affirmative action to LGBTQ rights. I mean, that's just, I mean, we just saw the Supreme Court. But let's drill down the right to vote, your right to an education, being free in education in some states. You have to be well-read. And when I say well-read, if you need, just go on a Google search and look up the ballot in your particular area. And then research, just read. There are a lot of articles and and explainers about a lot of these issues in your local community. It's not that cerebral. If you don't go, it's it's more than voter apathy. apathy. You just don't care. And um, we're in a a very interesting time, especially when gas prices are so high, inflation is high. The president says we might have a slight recession. Too much. Yeah. And, and some would say, though not on the ballot, um, democracy. That's it. Is this vote. (laughs) Yeah. That thing, that (laughs) thing too. Let me ask you this last thing, April. I remember talking to you, uh, at the close of president Obama's second term, and you were thinking about leaving the white house, frankly, uh, Give me a sense of the April that maybe was... I should have left. Give me the sense of the mindset of that April and the April I'm talking to today. The mindset of that April back then to today. Um, I never imagined what we would go through and what we're here today dealing with. Never. Number one, my history books didn't tell me that. Civics lessons didn't tell me that. I'm writing history now. I'm here for it. The longest serving black woman journalist in the White House. Kid from Baltimore. Robin and Vivian's daughter. Um, I'm here for it. Uh, I'm going to stay around Lordsville for another couple of years. And if not, um, I'll be writing another book on something else, but I'm, I'm going to stick around for another couple of years. at least. And I've got five presidents. Um, I don't want to be in a situation where you got to pull me out of there. <laughs> I don't want to be in a wheelchair like y'all know. Um, I'm going to figure out what, what it's going to look like. I'm going to try to create my Lord's will. I'm going to try to create my own exit. But I'm thankful that I stayed. Even in the worst of times, and I'm thankful I stayed because I would have never seen 25 years. Yeah. I didn't expect, I wasn't even thinking about that, you know, 
I was just thinking about just going in and doing the work. And the work is tedious and monotonous. But all I kept thinking about is doing the work. And then as I was doing the work, I happened on 25 years. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And then we'll see for another two years. Because I think in two years, if I stay, I'll be the longest serving Black person ever. So, yeah, that part. <laughs> well, we're thankful you stayed, especially um, what we could not have envisioned on that day we talked what came uh, after, and we were glad you were on the front lines. The book is called Black Women Will Save the World, an anthem, celebration of Black women's resilience and strength. And certainly you are one of those on that front line, April Ryan, saving the world. Thank you, girl. Go Always, always, always good to see you. You too. Thank you. Another big thanks to April Ryan. Her new book, Black Women Will Save the World, an anthem is available now. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media.